Welcome to SAS Talk with Kim, your sustainability action series podcast highlighting how local governments are leading the way toward a more sustainable future. I'm your host, Kim Lundgren. I've spent the last 16 years working for and with local governments to help them create resilient, inclusive, thriving communities. I started this podcast series to connect you with the key people on the ground putting sustainability into action in their communities. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to SAS Talk with Kim. I'm your host, Kim Lundgren. And I'm really excited today as part of our resilience series, we are talking to Jim Blackburn. Jim is an environmental lawyer with Blackburn Carter PC, and he's also a professor at Rice University. Uh, Jim, you're, you're also the co-director of the Severe Storm Prediction Education Evacuation from Disasters Center, which I think is super interesting. Um, you've got a ton of experience looking at and working with flooding related issues in Houston uh, and so we're really excited to talk to you today welcome to the show well thanks Kim I'm real happy to be here so I think for starters Jim it'll be helpful for the audience to just get a little bit of basic background I'm sure in recent years they've seen a lot in the news about big floodings in Houston you know deaths coming from floods um, but can you give the audience a little bit of the background because you know, this really isn't a, a recent phenomenon, is it? No, it's not a recent phenomenon at all. I mean, there's uh, historic um, uh, write-ups about the settlers heading west out of Houston in the 18, uh, mid, uh, early 1800s, mid-1800s, and they encounter water ankle to knee-deep the first three days march west out of Houston. Uh, it's always been low-lying. It's always been a place where several bayous come together, uh, there, it's a number of. It's not a big river system that comes through Houston. It's a number of smaller uh, bayous, relatively slow-moving coastal streams that have relatively small watersheds that can be heavily impacted by urban development. And Houston started kind of closer to the um, the coast and has basically developed back up the watersheds, away from the bay and away from the navigation. And then basically, as we have developed out, we've been dumping more water back on ourselves. So at least from a developmental standpoint, you can certainly track where the concrete went down and, and then see flooding coming along these smaller bayous downstream from that new concrete. And we just keep, you know, kept doing that decade after decade. Uh, I think more recently, uh, what we're seeing is that one, our our storms are seeming to becoming more uh, uh, to becoming more severe, um, more intense. We've had I think three or four or five hundred year uh, storms in the last few years. I think we've probably had fifteen or twenty hundred year storms in the last thirty years. Uh, so, from that standpoint, I think climate change is fitting into it. And so, the more recently we're seeing bigger, more intense storms from rainfalls. On the coastal side, uh, we get hurricanes, but we have not seen the worst-case hurricane that could hit this area. So we've had a lot of problems, but we probably haven't seen the worst yet. Interesting, because, you know, I think we always talk about these big fear things, the, the big one coming, uh, whether it's, you know, the earthquake in California or these big hurricanes. 
I mean, Houston's got some other challenges, too. I mean, the fourth largest city in the country, you've got more than six million people living in the greater metro area, and you're expected to grow pretty significantly over the next couple decades. What does that look like when you add in this component of always having a big challenge with flooding and, of course, uh, potentially the big one coming? Well, I think the big one coming is going to be be limited to the coastal region. Uh, hopefully, we can come up with a way of protecting our industrial complex along the Houston Ship Channel uh, before it hits. Although there are some in this community that I that have suggested that let the big one come, and then maybe we can get federal money to build a solution. Which, in a, almost a nutshell, is sort of our approach. I I think that we have really got to seriously examine who we are what our flooding problem is and be very honest about it and to face it directly because it is going to be a problem in the future and if we don't get a better handle on it than we have it's going to kill a lot of people and it's going to hurt us economically in the long term and you know we've just got to come up with a totally different attitude about it than we have and i'm very quite frankly very concerned about it well, and it seems rightfully so um, when you think about a lot of the ongoing flooding events and the impacts that that's had. Now, you have been a strong advocate for the the county, Harris County, and the city of Houston to really take some measures to not just, you know, help people during floods, obviously, but prevent flooding, really thinking about that prevention side. Um, could you talk about some of the stuff that you're suggesting the city and county look at? Well, sure, I'd be happy to. I think uh, if, you, if you think about kind of divided into two pieces, one is the hurricane flooding and the, and the surge, and I'll come back to that. But the second part being the rainfall events, when we get uh, various types of uh, cold fronts coming through, we'll have rainstorms associated with that. And recently we've seen those becoming uh, quite large, uh, larger than certainly I remember them. Uh, and the Harris County Flood Control District uh, recently said that they did not believe that the climate was changing, that climate change had anything to do with this. And I think, one, we've got to get past our denial of that. I think the facts are, frankly, contrary to that. And we more generally, I think, have to do a better job of talking to the public, communicating with the public about the problems we have on flooding. So we have to admit that we have a flood problem. And that's an admission this community has always been unwilling to make. Uh, people are buying homes without full information about, for example, hurricane evacuation requirements. Uh, that's just not provided to you. Uh, we don't help our citizens understand how the road system is. Our road system is our secondary drainage system. It will go under with a, a pretty, you know, with a relatively recurrent storm. One that comes every. So, say, five years will flood the, the streets, and we're seeing those very frequently these days. Uh, we have, I think, an attitude that we've been denying that there is a flood problem, and we basically kept maintained the fiction that we can control flooding. I think in Houston we're going to have to be more about living with flooding. I think we're going to have to have buyouts of homes in flooded areas and sort of evacuation of certain low-lying areas. And I think we're doing that piecemeal. It's a very expensive process. Uh, but there's just uh, too much water coming down these bayous, and there is not enough capacity to handle it. 
Uh, I do think some structural improvements can be useful. The best money we've ever spent on flood control in, in Harris County uh, was the Corps, U.S. Army Corps of Engineers built two reservoirs, the Attics and Barker Reservoirs, and they're west of Houston. And they do a wonderful job of holding water. We need, uh, we need two, three, four more of those on the west side of town uh, and on the, up on the northern creeks, uh, Spring Creek, Cypress Creek and hold that water back in those uh, higher prairies and keep it from coming downstream. Now, I had been reading some interesting stuff. You mentioned the prairies, and it seems like there had been some analyses done that was showing that you know, some of these prairies are actually maybe even more effective than wetlands at kind of retaining water. Um, are you able to speak to that at all? Sure, I think that's absolutely true. A native prairie has a... Uh, massive root system that goes down several feet into the <clears throat> excuse me into the soil and basically I've, I've seen data that indicates that a prairie can absorb five to ten inches of rainfall per hour and it's a huge amount of water and fabulous storage capacity that's in these areas and we've been basically totally disregarding that piece of information. Uh, to the extent it was understood, it was ignored, but I think more generally, we've been ignorant about what a resource we had, both in the natural wetlands and in the native prairie, uh, to the west, to the northwest of, of Houston, and how much water they could hold for us, and how that could be part of our uh, overall flood solution. I think you know, using nature as part of the template of solutions that you've got is an absolutely essential element for a uh, rational flood program moving forward into the future. And, and uh, unfortunately, we're dominated a lot by engineering thinking in Houston, and we kind of want to dig channels and put pipes in and construct things and engineer things. And nature has a lot of wonderful things to offer us. Uh, it's a wonderful economy. It's a wonderful ecology. And you know, using that natural system to our benefit uh, is really the smartest thing that we can do almost all the way around. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's interesting. I'm, I'm from the Boston area, and, you know, we started that way too. You know, coming in, you develop, and, of course, we were founded in the 1600s, and it was a very similar thing. Um, I used to work for the city of Medford, Massachusetts, and in – the early days, I mean, they pretty much took every stream in that city and they put it underground. <laughs> and so we would yeah. have constant flooding issues. And, you know, and so we've made a lot of shifts over the past 40, 50 years at this point here in Massachusetts, where, you know, there is a State Wetlands Protection Act. We have to pay attention to those things because we're trying to have that better understanding of how those natural systems help protect us. Um, in many ways from these types of storm events. Everything's connected. It's really that systems thinking approach. What do you think it's going to take to get, you know, Houston and, and Texas and the, the rest of the self that is now experiencing a lot of growth, um, you know, to, to, to really be learning from these challenges that, you know, and it's not just the Northeast, there's plenty of um, states along the eastern seaboard that are older, if you will, um, that have learned these mistakes the hard way. How do we help communities like Houston learn from our mistakes? Well, I think, first of all, Texans are very much against regulation. So, 
you know, a standard solution, uh, I would tell you, from the East Coast or West Coast is to regulate. Uh, that is not going to be the go-to strategy, although perhaps it might be the best, most efficient strategy, and we have some regulation. But regulation alone is not going to be a solution in our part of the world just because I think politically it's a very difficult fix. I am very interested in using market systems to be helpful here. And, for example, paying landowners to maintain natural areas as part of a flood control solution so that you, rather than regulate them and don't allow them to develop it, you pay them to maintain the, the native prairie that has been useful. Uh, I'm working on creating an ecological surfaces exchange that we're doing through Rice University. Uh, we call it the Texas Coastal Exchange, and we're trying to set up a way of buying and selling ecological services. And if you add uh, basically the flood protection uh, benefits of a prairie with the carbon dioxide storage capacity of a prairie and some of the ecological production of a prairie or a wetland, uh, there may be ways to monetize that and make the landowners, frankly, quite a lot of money. Uh, to the point they don't need to sell for development purposes. And I think that would be ideal type of solution for the Texas coast. Uh, we're looking at 2 million acres that are currently undeveloped along the coast uh, as part of a hurricane solution to just see if we could find a way to get those landowners with sufficient cash flow to keep their lands in uh, native prairies in the, say, the elevation 20 feet and lower, uh, which is highly uh, subject to hurricane surge flooding, uh, get those people an economy that will keep them in agriculture. Uh, that, we think, is a huge potential solution for this, for our part of the world. Yeah, I mean, that seems like a great idea. That's certainly, um, there's a huge agricultural tie to your economy. And, I mean, I'd have to think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but having the prairies, uh, it's also that aesthetic tie. I mean, that's kind of what you think of when you think of Texas. You know, it's a social, cultural, I mean, I mean basically we're talking about a trying to put in motion a system that is ecologically sound, is uh, certainly sound from a resilience standpoint. Uh, but it's not only hazard resilience, it's economic resilience and it's social resilience. And so, I mean, we see that essentially if we can set these markets up right, they may be the best implementation device for sustainability that we have in our part of the world. So I am very optimistic about the opportunities of the private market system and uh, these um, ecological service uh, exchanges. Mm-hmm. So we mentioned earlier that uh, one of your many hats is uh, the co-director of the Severe Storm Prediction Education and Evacu Evacuation from Disaster Center. That is a mouthful. Um, we, we call it the Speed Center. Speed Center. That's way easier. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the work that the Speed Center is doing? Sure. Uh, we have... Um been studying basically the vulnerability of the Galveston Bay region to hurricanes. Uh, we've been funded by a, a local foundation founded by one of the uh, kind of leaders of early Houston, a man named Jesse Jones that was very prominent in national politics, and he had a fortune, and he left it to a private foundation called Houston Endowment. And they made a grant to us at Rice to study uh, hurricanes. And so we've done a lot of modeling of different hurricane uh, tracks and different sizes of storms and where the worst places were for those storms to come ashore. 
we've assessed the vulnerability of the chemical complex, uh, refining complex that we have on the Houston Ship Channel. We are extremely concerned about that vulnerability, and we feel that a storm surge in the 20 to 25-foot um, range, which we think is very much a reasonably foreseeable storm in the next oh, 20 years or so, uh, that type of storm could lead to one of the probably the worst environmental disaster in United States history. So from a just an impact standpoint, the impact on that chemical complex is what's got us all staying up at night. There's also several hundred thousand people that are vulnerable to that storm surge as well. And uh, it certainly would lead to a lot of loss of uh, of real estate and property. Uh, how many lives would be lost would be would depend on how many people evacuated and, and how many stayed behind. Hmm. And, and we are looking at trying to come up with, in the case of Galveston Bay, various types of structural solutions that might uh, be constructed to uh, offer various levels of protection. And there are other groups that are working, and so there are several proposals that are out there, but all of them involved some type of structure that would uh, impede the flow of water coming up into the bay and up into the ship channel and into the west side of Galveston Bay and Galveston, um, city of Galveston itself. And uh, those solutions are not easy. They are expensive. There are environmental impacts associated with them, and they take a long time to get a consensus and to build them. So these are not short-term solutions, and I think all of us worry about what might happen before we get our act together, uh, get the funding put together, whether it's local or federal, and actually begin to implement some solutions. So you mentioned quite a bit about... Um really the lack of knowledge of um, residents, of new people moving to the area. What are the opportunities um, for that kind of community-level engagement, and is that something you guys, um, whether in your role at Speed Center or elsewhere, that you're working on? Well, I mean, I, I think at Speed Center we have identified that there is a problem, kind of a communication gap between uh, the public, and particularly the public that is buying real estate and some of the and an understanding of some of these hazards and, and frankly it's a political situation and uh, I mean Speed Center does research we don't really intervene in the politics and uh, there is a group that is being reactivated here in Houston called Houston Voters Against Flooding and that group will bring these issues into the political process and hopefully get it involved into the upcoming set of elections in 2018 uh, and, and really try to elevate the flooding issue into a, a political issue that will be kind of hopefully will lead to some changes in Houston about how we, one, talk about the flooding issue, really talk more about understanding the flooding, understanding the risk, getting good warning systems up in terms of uh, if you live on a particular bayou, it'd be nice to know what the flood status of that bayou was, and you ought to be able to just pick up a computer and find that out in, instantaneously. Uh, there ought to be tracking of where the you know, radar tracking of the storms and and kind of keys as to where flooding is expected to occur. We ought to have intersections closed off when they become flooded. 
Uh, all of that can be done, but it takes political will. And so far, this issue has not elevated itself to become a major factor in local elections. And I think that that is going to change in the future. And Houston voters against flooding, I think, will be part of that. That that's great. So our audience, of course, is is broad, um, but mostly folks working in and with local governments um, across the U.S. Is there, you know, something that you think that they could learn from from what you know your region, Houston, Harris County, is going through? Is there something that you know other communities that are struggling with this that you would suggest they consider? Well, I, th- I think that on the one hand, that Texas is almost the the perfect uh, red state in the sense that uh, there's a certain set of philosophies and beliefs that are going to be kind of exhibited here. And so certain things just are going to be more difficult to do. Regulation is going to be difficult to do. So I think we're going to have to find solutions that go way beyond regulation, that include information, that include the use of market systems, that include uh, uh, almost any strategy you can think of from a creativity standpoint. So I think that to the extent that we get a handle on this problem and, and solve it, it will be because we're creative and because we can come up with systems that are really a little different than sort of the current planning mold in uh, perhaps much of the rest of the uh, United States. And I think that that if we have something to offer, I think it will be from that perspective that there may be more than one way to achieve some of these goals because, I mean, we've got to come up with ways that are consistent with the uh, the general um, uh, mores and beliefs of the people that live here. And, I mean, our landowners are very much interested in their property rights, so we, you know, property rights are going to need to be respected. Um, but on the other, on one hand, we trump on property rights. On another hand, we, we, we want to enforce property rights. So we've got some hypocrisy in our system. They may be present in all systems, but we've certainly got them here. We're going to get that reconciled a bit. Right now, uh, homeowners are probably the lowest-ranking property owner uh, on the spectrum. Uh, you know, large developers seem to get uh, a little preferential treatment under our current system. We're going to try to equalize that, but I think we may do it more through information and and through trying to make it more lucrative for farmers to keep into the agricultural sector than to sell their uh, land for real estate development. I think we'd like to see a lot more redevelopment within the existing core of Houston. And in that redevelopment process, we have the potential to make things better. And I think one of the things we tend to do is to say, well, it's already been developed. Uh, You can do what you did last time just like you did it before. And I don't think we think much in terms of doing something better the second time through. We have a lot of LEED certified buildings. We're starting to see a lot of interest in the SITES program, which is a certification program mm-hmm. for landscapes. Uh, we're starting to see a lot of interest in the Envision uh, engineering certification program and even the Living Building Challenge. And I think those initiatives might bring change to the certainly the architectural, engineering, design community. And I think, frankly, the private sector design solutions may actually be the most interesting thing to watch. Um, 
you know, Houston, for all of its anti-regulation bias, is one of the leaders in lead certified buildings. And it's always been some kind of a strange kind of a dichotomy that you have there. Uh, but it's all voluntary. It's all market-driven because, frankly, those buildings rent better. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we're going to be finding a lot of kind of ties like that where we begin to see performance uh, from a flooding standpoint, performance from a uh, longevity standpoint and a safety standpoint be, you know, becoming paramount. And that will be reflected in the market system. So I am both learning about and am, uh, have you know, some faith in the market system, but that requires good information. And so that inform- you know, providing information to go with that market system, I think you're going to see a lot of creative um, innovations coming out of Houston in that area. Mm. Well, that would certainly be something we'd be excited to see. Well, we are now at the end of our podcast, and one of the things I like to ask uh, the guests is um, more on a personal level and just getting a sense. I mean, all of us that do this work, uh, as you know, Jim, it's it's not a job, right? I mean, this is a lifestyle, um, being in a in a role that helps create a more sustainable world is something that not only feels good, but most of us, it's a drive from within. And so I guess um, I would love to hear and have you share with the audience. um, What, what's that, what, what is it that drives you? You're very passionate about this work. You know, was there a certain um, something happened or you learned about something? What was that spark that got you started and uh, made you such a great asset for your region? Well, I've always been very interested in the outdoors. I became an environmental lawyer because of that. and uh, But I've developed a spiritual relationship with the natural system. I, I truly find that I get centered and I, I find kind of the, the essence of who I am by interacting with nature and with the natural system. And I've always known there were values to nature. Those are the things that keep me going. When I've had a, a bad week, it's always nice to get on Galveston Bay and uh, bird watch or fish or kayak and then do those types of activities. And what I'm really getting excited about is the fact that I'm now learning that those same values that I found, you know, that I recognize from a spiritual standpoint may also have economic value and uh, that they they may fit into a longer-term system. But it's the spirituality that of the connection with the natural system. I mean, the best-kept secret about Houston is that we have some of the greatest ecological diversity of any city in the United States around Houston, and our ecology is fabulous. Uh, you know, it's just we don't value it, um, and uh, that's going to change. And, you know, that's what really gets me up and get, gets me excited, and part of that is looking at flooding differently. But it's also looking at carbon dioxide and looking at the whole oil industry differently. They're going to have to offset their carbon footprint. They could do it by basically enhancing the ecology of the, not only the Texas coast, but of Texas and the United States. Um, you know, those are, those are nice spiritual visions as well as uh, practical ones. Well, that's great to hear. Well, Jim, I can't thank you enough for your time. This has been really informative and interesting. And um, Well, I've thoroughly enjoyed it, Kim. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. I hope uh, we'll be keeping an eye on you so that we can hopefully next year be talking about all the successes that we're seeing well, with market-based approaches down there. 
Right. Well, I do have a book coming out in October from Texas A&M Press called A Texan Plan for the Texas Coast, which talks about a lot of these ideas. So I encourage you to go get a copy one day. There you go. When when will that come out? It'll come out October from Texas A&M Press. Fantastic. Thanks for sharing that with us, Jim. And thanks for sharing your time. Have a great day. Bye-bye, Kim. Thank you for joining this episode of SAS Talk with Kim. You can listen to other podcasts in our sustainability action series at sastalkwithkim.com. Remember that action is the key to your community's sustainable future. What will you act on today?